It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary... What's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Howdy, hello. How are you doing? I don't know why I always try to syncopate my syllables at the beginning of these intros, but I just feel, uh, I guess, more comfortable with that. But anyways, I'm your host, Ray Harkins. You are hanging out with 100 Words or Less, the podcast. And if you are new to this show, we talk about independent music, whether it's punk or hardcore or metal or indie rock or whatever it is, as long as it's of the DIY independent strain, you know, been into rooms with uh, 10 people stuffed on top of each other. Not anymore, really, but you know, you get the deal. Today, I have Toby Morell from Emory on the show, who is a great band who actually, if you want to find more information about them, go to emorymusic.com, but they just released a new record called White Lane Fever. You can stream it anywhere your favorite streaming platform is, or you can buy the rad limited edition splatter vinyl they have on their website. However you consume music, just do that because it's a, it's a very good record. I, I had the uh, privilege to listen to it before it was released, and uh, it's really, really good. So go ahead and do that. But Toby is uh, the vocalist of the band, and I've known him for quite some time. And uh, we've existed in the same, you know, ecosystem for for a while. And I was like, oh yeah, actually, I've never had Toby on the show, and that's kind of silly. So we rectified that, and we talked about that. But how are you doing? You know, you can always email the show one hundred words at one hundred words podcast at gmail I totally blanked on the email address there. Jeez, but um, I, it's just it's a lot, right? I mean, let's be honest. The days sometimes feel like weeks, and the weeks sometimes feel like months, and all of this information is coming in at us, you know, not only from the coronavirus, but the, uh, you know, the racial inequalities that everybody is uh, seeing in regards to systematic racism and just there, it, it is a heavy, heavy world that we exist in now. And uh, I hope that this, you know, this podcast allows you to have some reprieve, but also at the same time, stay engaged. Like, I know it's very tempting to just kind of unplug from all of this. And be like, you know what? I can only focus on you know the uh, you know four walls around me, and that's fine. If that is your emotional state at the time, I totally understand and I totally respect that. But you know, as you kind of grow more, uh, you know, willingness to kind of step outside of that, 
get, stay engaged because that's uh, that's an incredibly important thing, especially at this time of disconnect and uh, turmoil and strife in this country. Uh, we just need you. We need you desperately. So. Anyways, uh, I had this discussion with Toby. Uh, it was actually it was during during the pandemic. I mean, obviously we're still in it, so uh, you know there that that is what it is. But uh, Toby's just a great guy, great chat, and we uh, you know found I found out more than I ever knew about him to begin with, which I hope that uh, you find that out as well. So here's Toby, and I will uh, talk to you at the end of the episode. And, you know, obviously we've become, you know, friends over the past couple of years via, you know, podcasting and what have you. But, you know, I saw Emery uh, at D Piazza's in Long Beach off of. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was like, I mean, I'm <laughs> fairly certain it was your guys's like first tour off of uh, your first LP. Right. And it was it was one of those things that, you know, I, I immediately enjoyed because I, I got a copy of that to review and I listened to it and I was like. I liked it. Like it, it was very, uh, you know, I mean, for a person who, uh, you know, was, was paying very close attention to music. I was like, Oh yeah, this is like stuff that's like, you know, already happening, but like, yeah. you know, it's not like fresh, but at the same time there was something about it that was compelling. And then I saw you guys, and you were playing, you know, the stage was like four yeah. inches small. And it was like, there's like 40 guys in this band. It feels like, <laughs> You know, it, what's so funny is I remember that because that was, we were on tour and we had a day off. We recorded our very first video, which was for the song Walls. And then we immediately had to go to that uh, pizza place and play a show uh, after. And we were all so exhausted. And you're right. I remember that. And and I don't think we ever played that place again. I don't know if that was like a good place to play back then, or but we never ended up playing there ever again, I don't think. No, yeah, it, it 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 was definitely one of those places. Like, it still exists, and they like still occasionally do shows. But it's very much like you know, sometimes a kid gets an idea for six months to do shows there, and then they stop, and then it isn't uh, until yeah. someone else picks up the reins or whatever. But it's definitely not a um a you know or obviously like a chain reaction or something like that, you know, right? And partially too because it's like yeah, the stage is so high yet so small, and <laughs> I just I, I definitely remember being like you know there, there's like I don't know like twenty thirty kids there or something like that, but. Yeah. You know, you guys, I enjoyed it. It was like, oh, this is like, this is cool. And you could tell that you were, you know, focused on just being like as good as you can be. And I know that sounds very like basic from a band perspective, but just like, (laughs) I don't know. I was like, it it seems like you guys were focused and, you know, I'm going to presume that's obviously what you guys felt like because you had put so much effort into the band already at that point. Yeah, just I think for us, it really was the solidifying thing for us was coming from South Carolina and we just said, we'll never make it if we stay here. We moved out to Seattle and then we started touring and, you know, saved up money and recorded our album the best, tried to shop it around. Tooth and Nail gave us the best deal and stuff like that. But I think because we moved so far away from home and the fact that the West Coast was just so much better at like music and independent music and bands, like, I mean, it's it's crazy when we talk to people, uh, you know, like you, for example, from 
California that grew up with a bunch of local bands. We had a local band in high school that was horrible that only played like Hootie and the Blowfish covers and maybe had one show and they were like the coolest people you could ever be around. You know, sure. <laughs> like like that was the cool thing. And like when we meet other folks, they're like, oh yeah, we were you know we were listening to all these crazy. Like I mean, I didn't hear of the band Fugazi till I was probably twenty five, twenty six, something like. That. I mean, like I didn't even like bands that you know people say are legendary and. Uh, meant so much to them that you know the punk scene the hardcore scene that just didn't exist where we're going when we were growing up or it, it did but not nobody was talking about it and so to get out there and be pushed and see all these other bands that were already way ahead of us and had been doing it since they were like 14 15 years old and we were in our 20s and uh we were like we have to stay focused and i don't care if, the, if there's one person there we'll try to put on the best show we can and, and it really did mean a lot to us so get it even i mean especially even now honestly but uh because i mean i think a lot of bands are this way but then it was like, man, just getting to play a show, we just felt so privileged and, and appreciative. And, and man, we're playing in California. How in the hell did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. And honestly, that's what like has really, you know, endeared me not only to like, you know, you and the rest of your bandmates for, um, you know, as I've got to know most of you on an individual basis, I just, because it comes from a place of such, you know, cultural void of what you're talking about. Like you, you know, I, I just love the notion that both you and Matt have shared on more than one instance to me where, you know, you guys felt like you were just like breaking the mold in so many of these ways. And then you start to play shows like, you know, local shows once you move out to Seattle and you're just like, oh, there's a lot of bands that are kind of do like, oh, there's a scene like we, we, right. we, we knew that there was more outside of South Carolina, but we didn't know what that actually meant. Yeah. I mean, uh, we were so naive, right? I mean, like, seriously, for example, you're straight edge, right? And, and vegan. Isn't that yes. right? Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Those two things, like the, I remember the first time I saw the Straight Edge Three X's, I just thought it was the it was porn, right? Yeah, I thought they, those guys really like porn and they're proud of it. And, and you know, I'm from the you know conservative South and all that stuff. But even more so, thinking like you were taking like what you wanted, the way you wanted to live your life in your own hands, and then even the idea of what you eat mattered. Like growing up in the South Carolina, I mean, regard, even throw out cool music or whatever. Uh, even I mean. Food for me was you got to find the buffet in town because you got to get the best deal for the most food. And, you know, it, yeah. we didn't, I mean, we didn't even think about stuff like that. And you guys having the, those experiences, I think it really, I, I do believe that moving to the West Coast really helped change us as people too. We were, we just didn't know, we didn't know stuff. You know what I mean? You, you, you don't know until you know, I know that's an old saying, but so we didn't even know anything. Like I, we didn't know how to eat. I mean, the first time I ever even smelled Thai food was in Seattle when I was 20, 26 years old. I mean, there wasn't a Thai restaurant. I mean, there was like one Indian restaurant in Greenville, South Carolina. I think that maybe we rode past one time or something, but it just, you know, we just were experience, getting to experience all that and seeing whatever. And it really did feel like everybody was kind of ahead of us a little bit. They got extra experiences and it was more multicultural and there was different, you know, ways of living and food and all of that stuff. And so it just really pushed us, I think, to really be appreciative and, and want to keep playing as many shows as we could. And I think that why I really, really enjoy, you know, your story, your personal story from that perspective is that, you know, people uh, of, you know, many different ages, you know, they sort of calcify as people, you know, where it's just like, oh, yeah, like, I know this thing. I know this this to be the way of life, like everything you're talking about, like the idea, you know, of uh, searching at a buffet or whatever. And for you to be able to, you know, I mean, even though when you're in your early to mid 20s, you're still young. But at the same time, you've had this experience 
experience for, you know, the previous 20 years of your life. And then to be transplanted into an area where you would still be open to the idea of, of these new experiences, you know, that like not everybody would react the way that you did to that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think for us, it was so fun. And the other thing was we had each other and our group of guys and all of us would cut up and, and we were, I guess maybe that we, you're right. Maybe we were just naturally more adventurous because we did move across the country. We didn't, you know, we had graduated college and didn't use our degrees. We were trying to, to do this rock band thing. So I think we were naturally more adventurous, but it was intimidating and a little scary. Like, I mean, going in and I mean, I know this sounds so dumb, but like going the first time into a Thai restaurant and not knowing anything to order. And somebody said pad Thai. And then I just stuck with that. <laughs> I, I stuck with pad Thai for like three or four years because <laughs> I did, I was so scared. I was going to mess up right. and not get food. Like it's, it's so bizarre thinking about like, you know, the stuff that you are intimidated by or what it might mean. But once you start, you know, you dip your toe into something as simple as pad Thai, which isn't, isn't crazy or bizarre at all. I still love it. It's delicious, but you dip your toe a little bit here and then you go meet somebody, you know, we, we'd end up at a, a party with some other band members from other bands and stuff like that. And, and we'd talk to them and you'd start realizing, wait a minute, people are, are like you. They just had some different experiences and, and they might would really love, uh, some awesome food in the South too, if they could try it, but you know, you're here getting to try all this stuff. So we always took it as, like I said, I mean, it, it sounds funny to say it, but it really does felt like, it felt like, uh, we were getting everything like, man, Whoa, we, we grew up in the South, which I still love us. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now, but I felt like I got to experience so much of the other, uh, the rest of the world that, you know, like my dad, for example, never got to. He's never been farther than Alabama. So, I mean, he how does he know? I mean, he can't understand some of the stuff. And that's why it seems intimidating to him. And I think for me, for us in general, it helped us to be more open-minded. Like uh, when we moved to uh, Seattle, our music was really slow and droney and what I called actual emo. Like uh, we were really influenced by bands like Mineral at that time after we had finally, you know, figured out there was indie music outside of uh, rock music on the radio, like Nirvana. The craziest music we'd ever heard was Nirvana or, you know, Stone Temple Pilots or something like that. Right. And then when, when we started hearing some of this other stuff, our music really changed and was influenced by, you know, slower, really emotional, uh, kind of droning music. And then we get out to the West Coast and everything's pop punk. At least it was in the local scene in Seattle. And so it really sped us up and it changed us. And then we, you know, get down to... California start touring a little bit and stuff. And then there's bands, you know, like, like your band taking or whatever this, this hard and hardcore and everybody, you, you see the audience just into the show. Like you've never seen before. Like I'd never been to any show where like the first time I saw a hardcore band play, I'd never even come close to even seeing that. I was like, what in the world is they're going to hurt each other? Yeah. I was like, you know, totally. <laughs> why, why are they? And then I, and it took me a minute to realize, but I was like, man, these people are so into this show. They're just so completely present. You know what I mean? Like when in, in South Carolina, the local bands, it was more about you were at the bar. They're, your your friends were there from college class or what you know uh, it was passive. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It wasn't about being present about the band or the music at all. Yeah, for sure. I really like that the fact that, you know, the emotions that you're describing, you know, that you were feeling in your early 20s, you know, were the, you know, what people were experiencing at the same thing, you know, whatever, five or six years earlier when they maybe yeah. first started to go to shows because they had the exposure to subculture because of their, you know, geographic proximity to whatever it was. Right. And, and I think that 
that, you know, you really hit the nail on the head. That's the core component of what attracts everybody to this weird scene, whether it's, you know, emo punk, it doesn't matter. As long as it's independent DIY, that feeling, like you said, of the immediacy, the visceralness, the uh, participation, like all of those things just feel so, you know, your world opens up in a way, even though it's a small world, like the the world that we exist in, but it's just, it, it, you know, opens your eyes up. Like you were saying, when did you start getting into like indie music or hardcore music or, or, you know, anything post or whatever. And then from that time, how long till you were in your first band? Yeah. Yeah. It it was. So, I mean, being from Southern California, you know, we had the amazing radio station K rock. So like that was a huge piece of exposure for me, just as far as like, you know, it played all the stuff that you're talking about your Nirvana's and stone temple pilots, which I was way into and Pearl jam and Alice in chains and all that. Uh, But then, you know, it was like, it was probably like 13 or 14 is when I started to get exposed to, you know, rancid green day descendants, all that sort of stuff. And so I started to go to shows of that nature because at that time that was also the year that you know punk broke whatever 93 94 and so i was 13 14 and so seeing you know offspring play in front of you know whatever five thousand people at the you know local college uh basketball stadium or whatever yeah but then like i I would say my first like real dip into more um you know whatever the showcase theater and that sort of stuff that was my first show that i remember going to by myself uh but before that it was like you know, that's when I started to dive into like victory records and stuff like that. So it was probably 15 or 16 is when I first started to go to like shows. Yeah. We, so we didn't have a lot of those bands. I mean, I'm certain all the big bands people were listening to, but it's funny. Like that's what, so for us, like when, when I heard a cool band, for example, uh, I know their big hit was, uh, I smell sex and candy, but like Marcy playground. And when you listen to their whole first record, you're like, Whoa, this is weird and crazy. You know? And I was like, man, this is, you know, and that's when I first started realizing, wait a minute, that you can really do some cool stuff. I mean, uh, Weezer Pinkerton changed my life. I mean, you know, I, I know that, that they're a massive band and huge band, but stuff like that changed my life. But it just really happened way more slowly. And for us, it was like you had to get past the hit song to get to the meat of the records and stuff like that. Everybody else, you know, just liked, you know, uh, Buddy Holly or something like that. And then and then nobody seemed to like we, uh, Pinkerton. Right. But from <laughs> yeah. there, and then so we were, we were trying, and then there were, you know, once we were in college, there were some bands that would come through and we'd started hearing, you know, that's when I didn't hear any independent music until probably about my third year of college. Um, I didn't know it existed. I didn't know there was, I'm, I know that sounds so dumb. I mean, I, I'm really trying to think of the most underground band I've ever, that's some, it probably was some like Marcy playground or something that somehow lucked up on the radio and had a hit or something like that. Uh, and then when I got to college, I got turned on to one of the first bands that I actually liked was like Pedro the Lion. And so then, but that's what I'm saying. I, I really got into that slower, emotional, uh, you know, thoughtful lyrics, deep meaning lyrics, try to figure all that stuff out. And that really got me. And then uh, it was so crazy to move over to the West Coast. And at the time, it just felt so much heavier and faster and intense. And I just loved that, too. It, that was the first time I'd gotten to experience shows like that. And it just really influenced us a, a lot. But we were going to these shows and we were oftentimes 10 years older already than most people (laughs) and it's funny it's funny you say that because that was the impress like not like you looked old to me because i mean we're around the same age but like i just remember seeing you guys at you know d piazzas in long beach and being kind of like oh like you know i I think we're the the same age like you know it just and it it felt like and usually yeah you're used to you know whatever a terrible you know 15 year old version of whatever it was you're doing would you know you begin and yeah so that that's that's funny you mentioned that you're right like most people don't go we're gonna start a band and see if we can make it when we're 25 (laughs) yeah we we got this 
Yeah, that's what we were just so naive to everything. We're like, yeah, we'll be we'll be fine, you know. And, right, uh, right, right. It worked out, thank goodness. But. It, no, it did, it did. And I, I think it, uh, ultimately, because I think it, you know, like you said, it came from that really, you know, willing place. Like you had a, a vision for what you wanted to do, but then at the same time, you were so open to all of these different influences that were getting injected. Like, you know, I mean, you mentioning the fact that you sounded like Mineral. Like, do you have early, like early demos of when you were trying to rip off Mineral? Like, yes. Yes. Oh. It, th- yeah. There's a song. I mean, you'll, it, it, there, yeah, for sure. There's a song that sounds <laughs> so like, uh, them. I, I, I mean, I'll, I'll see if Matt has it or I'll try to find it. Oh, dude. It you. you'll, I would you'll lo- laugh. You'll laugh. Sure. I would I mean, love to rip off. <laughs> dude, well, that's what every band starts off with. Like you yeah. have your blueprint of like, Hey, I want to sound like these three bands, like in a blender. And then usually right. you end up just sounding like one, a really bad version of it or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, well kind of putting the focus on you yourself, like, uh, you know, like you mentioned, were you raised in South Carolina? Yep. Greer, South Carolina. Uh, so I grew up, it's probably five miles from Matt and Devin and I uh, never met them once until college. We just ended up all at the same college and that's how we ended up meeting. But we actually all were from uh, Greer. They're from Blue Ridge, but it's basically, you know, it's not a suburb. It's a country. Yeah, we're out yeah country nowhere, road, but, right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, two lane roads out in the middle of nowhere, literally nothing's around, maybe a gas station every once in a while. And so, yeah, we all grew up there and my, you know, very, all of us were like, pretty conservative Christian. Matt was a little bit different. He was the wild man Presbyterian, <laughs> which <laughs> right. is really funny thing. Like, you know, yeah, that's wild. Presbyterian dude. Is that, you know, that much different, but that's the way it felt. But just grew up there and then ended up, I followed a girl to college in Charleston. She ended up going to Winthrop university and I followed her there. We broke up. It was a horrible breakup and all that stuff. And then I didn't have any friends because I spent all my time with her and just somehow Devin and I both sang in the choir at Winthrop university and just became friends. And then he introduced me to the other guys and you know, we kind of did that stuff. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Like what was your family structure? Like, you know, like brothers and sisters, mom and dad in the house. So I have one brother, uh, he's three years younger than me and mom and dad, most of the family, my dad's side of the family lived near us. And then my mom's was a little bit more Southern South Carolina part of, of South Carolina. And uh, my parents were together until about, maybe I was about, they, they fought so much. I mean, they did not get along. They should, the, the reason they ended up were married was because of me. My mom got pregnant with me. You were the <laughs> gift. So they ended up, do what? You, I said you were the gift. Yep. I, yep. Certainly was. And they never, they didn't even tell me I had to figure it out on my own. I never knew that. But then I found like there, we were doing something and I found their marriage certificate and I was like, that's weird. So I was born in 1976. They got married like December 12th, 1975. And I was like, that's weird. Cause I was born only like three months after. I was like, Oh, oh. <laughs> the picture oh. becomes clear. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, okay. Now I see, you know, so, uh, so they would fight, fight on and off, and eventually, probably, I was probably like 16, 17, they split up and then eventually divorced. So, got it, got it, yeah. got it. And, you know, I, I get most people kind of look at rural life, you know, in, in Southern living, like, you know, like you're, you're barefoot, you know, uh, playing in rivers and, you know, do, right. doing that sort of stuff. Is that kind of, you know, accurate for yourself? 100%. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a river right by my house. My brother would go there in the, in the summer and just jump in it. And it, it wasn't even that clean or good, but it just was so, I mean, we had, uh, we'd go down and visit my, my nanny, my grandma, and the, it would flood in the, like the flatlands down like, uh, Orangeburg, South Carolina, Bamberg, South Carolina, places like that. It's just super flat. The ditches would fill up with rainwater and my brother and I would just get in there and catch tadpoles. And I mean, yeah, I was barefoot a ton. I still love being barefoot. 
I mean, it really is true. It just it just feels relaxing. It's just, I mean, you didn't have as much worries or fears. Like you'd get hurt and you just walk it off, and you just I mean, maybe that's every kid when you're young, but it just didn't. We lived like I said, we lived out in the country, and you just you know, rode all over the place and everybody, there was a, you know, I would, I would say I grew up around a lot of redneck folks that were actually pretty nice and good, but, uh, it was country just like you said. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that's, you know, it's important for people. I mean, like you said, to your exposure to different things. Like, I think it's important for people that, uh, you know, get raised in either suburbs or big cities or whatever, get a chance to experience what, you know, uh, Southern rural life is like, because I think if you don't have both of those poles of experience, you're just going to typify one person one way or another, you know? Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. Yeah. No, I, I just, I mean, my, my stepfather was raised in a town called Farmington, Illinois, and I would go oh, back yeah. there. I mean, it's like, you know, an hour south of Peoria. And it was like, you know, there's whatever, like maybe 2,000 people in the city. And it was one yeah. of those things where it's like I would never have wanted to, like, grow up there per se. But visiting there, I was like, oh, this is cool. And, like, I ha- I feel like I've got a more holistic experience. I mean, I couldn't vocalize that when I was, like, 9 or 10. But go- yeah. looking back, like you're, what you're saying, where it's just like, oh, yeah, being barefoot's relaxing. And it's like, right. you know, like a person in the city would be like, what the hell are you talking about, you country bumpkin? Right, right, right. Exactly. I'm, I'm really have been wondering, like, uh, especially like with COVID and stuff, will the small towns see a, you know, like an increase in, in migration to them? Like people are thinking, uh, I don't want to live on top of each other anymore or moving out. Like I, I have, you know, several friends in New York. They're like, yeah, we are, are after all this, it's just been so much. I'm, I'm ready to get out. I'm wondering if you're going to see like small t- towns start to thrive and maybe get some of that more uh, multicultural vibe, more, you know, cooler restaurants, uh, more variety in the population of people. And, and maybe it won't like get like a massive town, but it might be uh, a little bit better. So like Farmington, Illinois or something like that, if, if there was just a little bit more diverse culture uh, and they were used to it and could get used to it and figure that out, you know, one of the things I've seen for sure just even like living in, like we went to college at uh, Winthrop University in Rock Hill, which is about 20 minutes south of me right now. And uh, the Charlotte area has just grown so much because so many people from the north go, I'm tired of living in the cold or, you know, the city's too crazy and they've come here. And so you have way more stuff than you did even, you know, five or 10 years ago, much less 20 or 30. I mean, it looks like a completely different place. And uh, it is a little bit more crowded, but you're seeing just way more variety and people are starting to understand each other a little bit more. It'll take a long time. And there'll always be some issues, but I'm wondering if like, this is going to cause people to like, for example, where you're living in California, are people going to go, man, maybe I would move out. I don't know. Do you ever think about something like that? Like is California, is it just home no matter what for you? Oh yeah, for sure. There's no way I would ever live anywhere else. I mean, I think it's the, the, the notion, I mean, people get attracted to other places based off of either climate or obviously cost of living. But to your point, you know, there, there is that notion where, I mean, so many people share, I don't care where you grow up or where you live, that notion of just like, oh man, yeah, I just want to get like a, you know, a nice plot of land. Like, I just want to, I just want to get away from it all. And like that notion, no matter what people are going through, always kind of enters people's heads is very, you know, romantic and kind of like, oh yeah, like a slower pace of life. And that's, you know, I I think that's always charming no matter what you're going through. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right. It might just be a a romantic dream. (laughs) Sure. Romanticized dream or something like, because once you get out there, you're like, "Ah, I I want my Starbucks (laughs) totally, (laughs) or or whatever. Where's the nearest movie theater? What? Right. 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 Oh, geez. (laughs) Band merch is incredibly important. I have most of my wardrobe is, is that is band merch. And if 
when I started to go to shows, you know, at 14 or 15 years old, if for one, the internet existed and two, rockabilly existed, I would, uh, basically I would just do that for every single, uh, birthday and Christmas holiday, whatever it is, when it came to a present, I would just go, oh yeah, go to rockabilly.com and order me some band merch. You can use this code PC 100 words, and that gets you 15% off your order. They are an independent business. They have officially licensed merch. It's all high quality stuff. They pay the bands, they pay them on time, <laughs> they are a legit company, and they've been doing this for 20 plus years. Like you've undoubtedly interacted with Rockabilia, whether you know it or not, but they have over a half a million items in stock ready to ship to you right now. And they even have puzzles, because let's be honest, we're all in the house, we need to do puzzles to pass the time. So again, use the code PC100Words, Rockabilia has you covered in anything that you could possibly want from a band merch perspective. I love them. I love what they do and uh, support them. Okay. PC 100 words, 15% off your order, rockabilia.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different things that stress us out, right? Like maybe it's something really, really small, like, man, that parking space, it's always taken. And I wish that I would be able to like get it instead of, you know, this person that maybe, you know, is the most courteous and considerate. I know that's something very random, but it's true. We all experience different things throughout the day that trigger us in so many different ways. And there are many times where I have been like, I wish that I had a a spot or a repository for me to, you know, get this stuff off of my chest. Because if you bottle it up, that is no bueno. And then all of a sudden you explode on a coworker or a friend or a family member being like the parking spot. And people are like, what are you talking about? That is where therapy comes in. And I love working with BetterHelp because I'm a huge advocate for therapy, broadly speaking. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, please give BetterHelp a try. It is so easy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and then you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you are not vibing with the therapist for any reason, you can switch it out at no additional charge. Get things off of your chest with BetterHelp. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Ray. Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Here's a clip from an upcoming episode featuring the weekly home checks, Keyshawn Lane, that you won't want to miss a common mistake that a lot of people do. They use fabric softener when it's not so great for your clothes. Should we never be using fabric softener? No, you should not ever be using fabric softener. It leaves a deposit on our clothes, which is also left in the machine. And it also makes the clothes highly flammable. Wait, what? (laughs) Yes. What you want to do instead is just use a quarter cup of vinegar. And that'll make them softer? That'll make them softer. And if you wanted some kind of scent, you can use essential oils. Wow, wow, wow. Catch new episodes of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult every other Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, 
What's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You know, and from all the time that I that I've you know spent with you and talked to you and stuff like that, you, you know, you're a very uh, you know, in my opinion, wh- whether you agree with me or not, uh, you're a very affable guy. Like, you know, you're a guy that see that would strike me as you could kind of get along with a bunch of different groups of people. Um, you know, whatever. If you're typifying like a high school experience, like you could be friends with the jocks, and you can also be friends with the uh, you know maybe the the art people or whatever. Is that uh, I guess a true characterization of you, or you know, were you more, more kind of like sticking to your friends. That was kind of it. No, you're right. You're exactly right. Like the, I was friends with everybody. I, I was never like the most popular, the, the guy in any group, but I, I could hang out with anybody. And so that kind of is, is the deal with me always has been. And I think part of that is just because, and maybe this goes back to even the beginning of this conversation. I, really do like to experience new things they might be intimidating or i don't understand them at first or whatever but you know why would i stay away from the jocks just because some of them are meatheads and why would i stay away from the nerds just because sometimes they're really nerdy or the you know the outcasts of the groups or or just the normal people so they always feel like people have something to give or something to bring to the table and if if you just hang out a little bit you're going to find out some really good stuff and it'll make you grow and expand a little bit and you're right I, i really love like either making people laugh or playing a song and hanging out or creating something with people and so the more people you can do that with usually the more opportunities you get in the future mm-hmm. sure yeah yeah no I, and i i think it's very um you know once people kind of have that perspective of like okay you know i, I don't need to just stay in my lane or whatever i think yeah. that does truly open you up to like you said more experiences you know having different friends in different groups and stuff like that because i i think people that you know uh, maybe don't uh, have the confidence or aren't approached with that notion until later in life like after high school or whatever you know they they, they miss out on a kind of crucial experience of just not even so much that they're doing something wrong, but just that they get more experience in dealing with uh, people that are, you know, different than them or whatever. Yeah, I think people really have an adverse reaction to uh, not always getting along. And that's one of the biggest uh, pet peeves of mine of like how, you know, I grew up in the church as well, but even in our politics or whatever, it feels like we are been to- we've been told that you have to 100% get along and that's your friend or that's your ally. And it, that's just not true. Like, I mean, even for example, this, this pandemic, I mean, I'm in my house uh, with my wife and my three kids and I couldn't love four other people more. And we argue a lot, right? <laughs> you know, we get, we don't get along all the time. And, and lots of times it's my fault. And I just think like, but what if I were to just cast that aside just because we didn't always get along with that, you know, whatever percentage that we, that we don't get along, I would miss out on so much more. And that's the way I think about it, you know, with people. I mean, of course I'm going to disagree with people and they're going to disagree with me. We're not going to get along, but if I totally cast them out, well, they're not going to change me. I'm not going to change them. And it, and it's just going to be a thing where it builds up, you know, thicker walls, bigger walls uh, against each other. So I think if you just give people a little bit of space to screw up, say the wrong thing, uh, reveal that they're, they think this harshly about this thing or whatever, eventually if you can kind of break down some of those walls and, and you'll realize you're way more like them than not. And so, and if you don't, I think you really do miss out on stuff. And then it just becomes, you're right, like we become, you know, the South, the North, the East, the West, you know, and instead of like a country or, a, you know, people trying to work together or change stuff. So I think giving people the benefit of the doubt a little bit really does because you're going to you're going to have disagreements no matter what. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just the notion that, you know, most people uh, change slowly over time. It's not like you wake up one day and, you know, you completely are a different person. But, you know, by you being in the orbit of somebody else and seeing how you are as a person, that can influence someone in ways that you can never vocalize or never be able to even recognize until like, Oh yeah. Like, because Toby was nice to me, like now I consider these three things more than I did, you know, prior to me meeting him or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, as you were kind of, you know, going through high school and finding your identity and like you said, you know, the, uh, the person that was able to bounce around with a bunch of different uh, groups of people, you know, did you have, I guess, kind of a, a a vision for what you wanted? Because obviously you went to college and, you know, like what did you want to do from a, a life career perspective? Um, so I was always pretty good at singing. Like I would get the, you know, the solo in choir or something like that. And so, but I didn't, I was just kind of drifting, man. Like I didn't do good in school. So my first year of high school, I got perfect attendance and great grades. Like I, you know, I mean, I was just like the, I just thought high school was so fun. I was finally a little bit older and not in elementary or middle school anymore. And I just thought, this is just so fun. I'm not going to, and I didn't miss a single day, perfect attendance, good grades, all this stuff. And then sophomore year, I became friends with some people and they were like, hey, we should cut school some. And I was like, what is this? I don't know. I should, should, I can't, can I? Maybe I could. And I did. And it was really fun and I didn't get caught. And I was like, okay. And then it just started kind of getting a little bit worse. (laughs) I mean, I I really was influenced by my peers, I guess. They weren't bad people, but, you know, they were just whatever. But I just thought, oh, man, this is amazing. So by the time I even got to my senior year, like, uh, in fact, my senior year, um, I think I was taking seven classes and I failed four of them. <laughs> and uh, so my senior year, I was supposed to have to repeat, uh, you know, senior year uh, in, in high school. I, w- I was supposed to have to go back to high school for a second time. At, this is, so say this is probably March of my senior year or April of my senior year. I know that I'm going to fail um, if, if something drastic doesn't happen. So I go to every single of those teachers and say, please, one of the classes was a photography class, right? <laughs> I failed photography. Class. Way I, to I, go. I, yeah. I just didn't show up. I didn't care. I didn't do any of the project. I just did not care about school at this point. And so uh, I talked every single teacher into passing me, but I could not talk my algebra teacher or whatever math class I was taking, could not talk her into passing me. So I had to go graduate in summer school, but I was, I didn't have to go back to high school for a whole nother year. I was able or get my GED. I was able to get my actual diploma. And so I graduated high school in August of 2004. That shows you how long that ago that is. But, uh, and so I didn't have any plans. I was like, I don't know what to do. But like I said, uh, a girl that I liked from my high school was going to college of Charleston in Charleston, South Carolina. And I was like, huh. And I couldn't get in there, but there was a school, you know, a few miles away from there called Charleston Southern. And my buddy went there and I went down to visit him. He's like, you probably could get in. I was like, no way. And he just knew somebody and I talked with them and sure enough, I got in. And so I just went to college. Uh, I was like, You're like this is the I... next step. So I guess. Yeah. I'll yeah. This. Well, it was funny because I guess, I mean, I, it was a private school, so however they did it, they just needed more attendance. So that, I, there was some kind of like rule that they kind of bent for me, and I just got in because they needed, you know, they they'd rather have people there. And unfortunately for me, I didn't know and got student loans, which they, you know, so they get their money, and then I'm left with the debt still paying to this day. Sure. So uh, which is really dumb. I mean, it, it, in some ways, I'm like, man, I wish I'd have never done that, but it would have not have led me to 
meet the guys. I wouldn't, my whole life would be different if I didn't go to college, even though, you know, I'm still paying for it in lots of ways. It's helped me do so much that I couldn't imagine. But, uh, so I, I didn't really have a plan, man. No, I just, I, I followed some friends and a girl that I liked and went to school at Charleston Southern for two years. And, uh, didn't do good there either. Started failing math again. I failed math so many times at Charleston Southern University that I was not allowed to take it there again. I would have had to. If I'd have stayed at that school, I would have had to take it at the local tech college <laughs> and then have that school. Tra- that, that was like their rule or something. They would not let me take any math courses anymore because I failed every single one of them. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, this guy's hopeless. We're writing them Right, off. right, yeah. exactly. And I was, I, was, so I was a music major, too. Uh, and I think at the time I was performance. No, no, I'm sorry. I was education. Yeah, I was music education because they said don't do performance because you, you can always do performance. You could fall back on education if need to. So the girl that I liked, uh, we started dating, actually, finally. I talked her into dating me. And then she uh, moves to Winthrop University to pursue her degree in interior design. They had a better uh, interior design degree up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is like three, three and a half uh, hours away. And so first year, it was kind of long distance. And I was like, uh, I couldn't get in. So the second time I tried... I got into Winthrop as well, so I, I guess I'd improved enough. That I couldn't do math, but I'm, I guess I'd gotten my other grades up good enough to get an, just enough in. So followed her up there. We dated for less than a year and broke up, and it was really bad. But uh, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, I didn't – I mean, I just didn't – I was just floating, man. Yeah, like, you are just coasting, coll- right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 college was fun, and, you know, but at the same time, I hadn't really met super good friends. And so at that time, I met uh, one of my all-time good buddies uh, – Joey Svensson, and then Devin and Matt and all those guys. And that's when I guess I would say for the first time, I was like, oh, uh, I, I changed because of Joey to elementary education because I just didn't care about the music education part. That just wasn't interesting me. And I thought, well, I'm into education already. I already have some education classes. I can move over. I'll have my summers off. That'll be cool, right? You know, I can, you know, two weeks for Christmas. And, I'll, you know, that's what I'm still kind of uh, <clears throat> thinking about the, the easy life. But uh, once I met all those guys, we started playing a band together, and then that's when everything changed. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, it, honestly, th- your description of your experience kind of, you know, matriculating through school is very reflective of your personality of just kind of like, well, I don't know. I mean, yeah, well, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll follow this along. Well, I'll just kind of right. figure this out. I'll just, <laughs> I'll, I'll float. And it's not to say that you're, you know, devoid of passion, because clearly you're not. Like, you know, some people... Uh, kind of equate those two things where it's like, oh, if you're just a floater, like you, you know, you, you have no roots, like you're not, it's like, that's clearly not the case with you, but like, it's just kind of reflective over your experience. It's just like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll kind of follow this along and see where this goes. Right. It just seemed like, now I will say this at Charleston Southern, there were two, uh, Australian guys. They were, uh, uh, one was a transfer student from Australia. He was, you know, he was here for like a year or two. His parents were missionaries like in Romania and he got to go to this, the school that I was going to used to be a Baptist college. So he got like a discount and they were just killer guitar players. And I did start a band with them and that kind of got me excited about it. But still I, I let, I quit that band immediately to follow the, my, my girlfriend. You know, I didn't, it wasn't any loyalty. They were actually pretty mad at me, Sure, but I was just like, I kind of, I love her. Uh, we're going to get married. Uh, you so I was trying to, I, I think I just had that, I wasn't even, I guess I was 19 at this point, so I was still a teenager, but I just had that, man, I love her so much, and this is what I'll do, and my life will revolve around her, you know? Yep. And so, uh, and I think it would have, if she wouldn't, if we wouldn't have broken up, I mean, I, I have a lot of responsibility in it too, but she did break up with me, I'm, I might would have just followed her, that's how I've just, I didn't know that, I just thought other people will help you figure it out and maybe just follow them for a while. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I think that's very, um, you know, that that's a, a common thought, especially like you when you yourself like, um, you know, maybe don't have this like 
latched onto idea of like what what it is you want to do or whatever but someone else in your orbit may have that idea so you're just like oh yeah i'm gonna follow them whether it's a friend with this relationship or whatever so i totally get that and so then you know as like you said as you started to you know find all your dudes that you know you you play in emery with and you guys all started to kind of ping pong you know off of each other in regards to um you know just obviously playing in a band and your musical influences and stuff like that uh, like you joked around where you know you uh you know heard fugazi the first time when you're you know 25 or something like that um, yeah. i mean clearly the focus was like okay we're gonna finish school and then we're gonna you know do this band more seriously and move out to seattle and stuff like that um th- that just seems like a real practical idea like it, it sounds like all of you guys were kind of on board with that like oh yes we'll finish school first so we have this thing and then we'll pursue the band so once we started playing bands together, uh, Devin and Matt were in a band called Simply Wayne's. It changed to Satchel, but it was basically Simply Wayne's was the band they were most known for, if, if they were known at all. But sure. and then we started a band called Joe 747, and Devin actually, we got, we eventually got him to be our drummer. And uh, and then we eventually taught Matt into being our guitar player. Joey had graduated before us and was already a teacher, and I think he was a teacher for two years. But he just felt like he could do that whenever. And that's what I thought, too. I thought... Well, if I have my degree, if this doesn't work out, maybe maybe in six months I'll know the band's no going nowhere. We're not good. Or a year. And I, I could still use this degree totally. So if I have that, I have something to fall back on. If I quit and then and take a year or two off, then I have to come back and it's going to be harder. And I don't, I'm, I'm, if I could just stick with school, I could be done with it. And so that's kind of what we all did. We knew let's just try and finish and get done with it. And we started later in our college careers as the band so we we were closer to the end if it had been first year of college and our band was you know decently real we might would have quit but being so close to the end you know having like a year or so left we thought let's just finish and do that right you're like we're we're almost there i mean might as well right (laughs) have this degree to fall back on obviously after we become rock stars whatever that may mean yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, and and I I know this just you know from knowing you guys like there um, were no illusions of grandeur in regards to like the popularity of what your music could be. You know, like you weren't you, you didn't have this idea that like oh we're going to be you know My Chemical Romance or whatever because I mean partially because you probably had never even heard of My Chemical Romance at that time. <laughs> but like the, it just seemed like the logical sort of, you know, adventure for you guys to go on. And, and there was no, um, I, I guess, like roadmap or vision beyond just like, okay, we're going to move out there. You know, we're going to try to get signed. Like we're going to do the, the the next steps as far as a band is concerned. But there was never any idea that you were going to be, you know, a popular band. No, not really. I mean, I think we, you know, you had hopes and dreams, but I think realistically we were just thinking, man, maybe if we go out to the West Coast, maybe what if 25 people actually came and heard our band? Right. <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, really thought in small terms for sure. Like, I mean, I just, I, I remember us thinking like, if we could just make enough to all live together in a, you know, when we first moved out to Seattle, we all lived in a three bedroom apartment with like six or seven dudes. And uh, I was like, man, if we could just... Uh, do the band and even if I have to have a part-time job or whatever, but if we could just do it enough to make a little bit of money to buy some merch or, you know, to sell or to do this or that, that would be, that felt successful. Like if just people, anybody coming to the show to actually hear your band felt like that was a huge success because nobody came in South Carolina to hear our band. They came because they were friends with us or they knew me and were like, Hey, you know, I'll go support Toby, but they didn't care about the music. So the big thing for us was we just wanted people to either hate it or love it 
at least we would know. Because at this point, we didn't know if we were any good or horrible. Because nobody, your friends always say, oh, man, that's really cool. You wrote your own song. But that means nothing. Right. They have zero skills or, you know, crit, crit, critic skills or anything. Your friends are always going to be kind of nice. Or there's some jerk that goes, your band sucks. And that, you can't believe that either. So we had no gauge to figure out if we were any good or not. So I just wanted to go somewhere where, you know, we were booed or people cheered a little bit just to see if we were real. Right. Totally. Like, give, I just love that idea of like, just give me some, give me some feedback. Like I, I we don't right. know, we, we need to go to a place that will let us know, um, you know, whether or not we're like even remotely good or remotely bad, or like you said, just some feedback. Right, man. I, I promise you, I know it would have hurt my feelings. and I've been really sad and I'd have been mad, but I would have loved just anybody to go, man, you, you guys are horrible. Boo, boo. <laughs> oh God, get off this day. Anything like it just, just hearing, man, that was a killer set from, you know, one of your good buddies. It just didn't mean it. Thank you. I appreciate it. But we just didn't, nobody, it just wasn't like that in South Carolina at the time. I mean, we were at the South Carolina, North Carolina border. And we, at, by the time we were getting close to the end of college, there were bands like Hope's Fall, Beloved uh, in the North Carolina area that were doing shows and, you know, uh, Solid State Tour would come through. We would see some indie bands, but it still felt like, those people, everybody was so far apart. It didn't feel like there was any kind of scene where everybody was all together. It felt like if there was a show in Charlotte, there was, you know, everybody came from their town and nobody knew each other. And there was, you know, 75 people there from all across North Carolina, and South Carolina to see them. And so there wasn't much of a scene in each area for us. Hey, everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff, How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. We're back with season two of the podcast, which means more opportunities to glow up and become a more responsible and better adult, one life lesson at a time. And let me just tell you, this show is just as much for us as it is for you. So let's figure this stuff out together. This season, we're going to talk about whether or not we're financially and emotionally ready for dog ownership. We're going to figure out the benefits of a high-yield savings account. And what exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party? All that plus so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Grown Up Stuff. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights. Speaking in public, the list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. Hey! Angela E. is kind of like the big sister that always pokes you in the forehead. <laughs> awesome. That's not how it goes? That's not how anything goes. Yemi's really like a robot. One of the best DJs ever. Believe that. Charlamagne is the wild card. And I'm about to give somebody the credit they deserve for being stupid. I know, that's right. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> Listen to The Breakfast Club weekday mornings from 6 to 10 on 106.7 The Beat. Columbus is real hip-hop and R&B. 
Right. Well, and, and probably to your point, too, the fact that all these people and all these scenes, because I mean, Charlotte, you know, clearly does, like you said, have a scene with all of these bands, you know, like between the buried and me and like all, all this lineage. Right. Of, but they had, you know, these six, seven, eight, maybe sometimes 10 years of, you know, relationships that they had built. So the, obviously all these people are playing together. And then, you know, you guys come in being like, hey, can, can we all play a show? And they're just like, who the hell are these kids? Like not right. saying that they were like that, but, you know, that's that, sometimes that's a real heavy lift to kind of, you know, be injecting yourself into that scene per se. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I mean, probably from the bands that we even saw, it was probably Hope's Fall. Uh, I forgot what label they got. It was a hardcore label they got signed to. I'll remember it in a little bit, but then uh, Beloved got signed to Tooth and Nail. We thought we'd never signed to Tooth and Nail anyway. I know we're, we're jumping ahead here, but it just felt like those bands, of course, had a few years on us and some people were coming because it kind of had a little bit, but it still, it just felt like to try and start anything and get people to come, you'd have to just, it was just too hard. Like we even did, uh, right before we graduated, probably a few months before, uh, maybe even close to a year before we graduated, we did our own, uh, independent tour and we toured down to Florida and back and it was horrible. I mean, it was just, we just only spent money. Of course, nobody knew who we were. And I did it. I don't know if you remember that there was a website called uh book your own fucking life. Oh, B-Y-O-F-L. Yep, yep. And, uh, so I went through all the contacts and I'd print out the paper and I would call each one. And if they didn't answer, I'd call them back the next day and all this time and finally got a tour. And it was, it was about two weeks with like a show every third or fourth day, you know, totally. <laughs> and, uh, no, Nobody would, you know, we hardly got paid anybody. The very first show was in Little Haiti, out right outside of uh, Miami, downtown Miami. We got paid in a few cans of food. Like, it was like pinto beans or something like that. And then, you know, <laughs> but, but what's funny is, man, how awesome was that, though? We still went and play. And the only people that came to the show was uh, our bass player, Joey's brother, who lived in, like, Fort Lauderdale or something. That Him and his wife came. But uh, it kind of set us up a little bit, but it made it... In some ways, I was like, oh, man, it's so amazing. I would do this forever. It's just so cool traveling and doing this. But um, at the same time, everybody else that was in the band, a lot of them wanted to go home. They didn't like it. They were upset that they were out and nobody was coming. And I was like, oh, so we won't be able to do this with some of these people. And then there's some of them that think this is kind of cool, but nobody's here and it's costing us all of our money that we had saved up. And so from that was one of the first st- stages, too, where I was like, wait a minute. There's some people that you will not be able to be in a uh, a band or a business, you know, you wouldn't be able to start something with them because they are going to give up when it when it's not exactly how they thought or amazing. If if every show was sold out, they'd be right with you. But it, if it's, it's kind of tough, it, they wouldn't be with you. And so that was one of the first lessons I learned is everybody, even, doesn't matter how good a friend you are, they everybody's not going to make it. And they're going to let you know that by their actions and their ways. But that was one of the first things. And then uh, the other thing was, oh, man, we just toured all the way down to Florida and back and some in Georgia and, and I think even a little bit in North Carolina and South Carolina. And nobody's coming and they don't really care about this music we're playing. Like uh, Hope's Fall or Beloved was were harder than us. Remember, I was telling you, we were like drony emo. What we were doing, nobody really cared about. <laughs> so I was like, this cannot be the place that we do this. Some people aren't going to go with us if we decide to do any kind of band stuff and we can't do it here because there's no chance. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that I, it makes total sense. I can, I, I can see where you're like, okay, let's, you know, transplant us to a place where, you know, they might be a little more open to what it is we're doing. Cause <laughs> clearly, clearly around here, it doesn't sound, <laughs> doesn't look like we're getting anywhere. Right. 
Right. The, uh, you know, I, I mean, a, a lot ha- has been documented in regards to, you know, Emory, your highs and lows and all that stuff. So I'm not going to, you know, really dive into that. But, you know, for you, like, you know, when you started to notice that people uh, knew you uh, as, you know, Toby from Emory, like once your identity became that, you know, uh, where you guys were touring and obviously playing in front of a lot of people. And, um, you know, y- you were of an older age to where you maybe had a little more perspective than like a 17 or 18 year old all of a sudden being like, oh, like this, this person's so cool because they sing for a band. I guess, was that difficult for you to kind of navigate that, you know, separation of of ego, you know, the the Toby that you know yourself to be inside your own head versus the Toby that you know, the entertainer portion of it. Yeah, I think I didn't realize it at the time. I, in retrospect, I would say it was harder than I thought. But in the moment, I didn't think so. So, for example, I've always been a big dude. Uh, but uh, before we got signed, I was like, well, uh, I was talking to our bass player, Joel, who was a bigger guy, too. I was like, you know, we're going to be on stage and people are going to be looking at us all the time. What if we did back then? This is so funny. I was like, what if we do this Atkins diet thing and see if it works? And maybe we lost like 10 or 15 pounds or something like that. And just, you know, felt a little bit better being in front of people. You know, you know, when I'm moving right on stage, I don't want the left side of me still hanging over there. Or whatever. <laughs> sure, you know, sure. Like I, I wanted to. And so Joel and I did back then, which is called the Atkins diet, which is now, I guess, more keto diet or something like that. But and we ended up both losing like 40, 50 pounds. So I immediately, my body changed. I was thinner and I, you know, I was, but it changed my brain a little bit too. At the same time as we are starting to be in front of people and people are recognizing me. And uh, it's funny, the guys in the band like Devin and Matt will say there was a, a year or two there where I just wasn't as funny because they were like, <laughs> when you were a bigger, fatter guy, you were just funnier, more easy to be around. Like now you're thinner, so you're aware of the way your clothes are fitting or the way you look or so, you know what I mean? Like it, it kind of did change me in that way. And then with all the eyes on you and people stopping you and wanting to take pictures and, you know, uh, you'd see a picture on the Internet where you look really stupid or dumb or sweaty or your hair was terrible and then you'd be more aware of it. And uh, I think the other thing, too, is just talking to fans and them telling you how much your music means to them and it's changed their life or it saved their life and all that stuff. You just don't know how to process that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like you you immediately start thinking you are important in some ways. And so I don't think I was ever a jerk or mean, but there there probably was some disconnect of, oh, wow, we're starting to get popular and we are good. And so we're, we're a good band and, and maybe these songs I'm writing are great and i'm great and you know there's a little bit of that i i I didn't get too caught up into it and we're lucky because our band you know we'll shit talk each other at any moment and you know yeah you'll 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 keep each other in reality yes exactly i can't get away with being the lead singer of Emory. that no one's gonna let me do that you know what i mean so that 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 i think our friendship at that time, our friendship, because we had moved across the country, got so much stronger, and we only had each other, and then things started happening where we had to make decisions with each other. I think that bond really helped. But I would say I felt probably a little bit more insecure about my looks, and I pulled away a little bit, and I wouldn't be as goofy or funny in front of people because I thought I'm a emo singer and or a band guy, and band guys don't act goofy and stupid. And eventually I got over that, but I did feel probably a little more insecure. Even though I had lost weight, I felt a little bit more physically insecure about myself. Yeah, sure. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. I appreciate you laying that out like that because, you know, I think that that's something that most people don't think about or consider, you know, when they start to play in bands. And especially because it's like, you know, anytime a person, whether they're extrovert or introvert, all of a sudden get put up on a, like you were saying, like this, you, you didn't say it, but like a weird pedestal where you're like, well, uh, you know, I'm no different than the people that are at the show. I just decided to start a dumb band with my friends. Like, right. But at the same time, but then. <laughs> 
<laughs> on the flip side, you know, you're, you're, you're being cheered. And, you know, like you said, you have such positive feedback from people that it's just like, oh, I don't know where this should sit in my brain. Right. Right. Exactly. And you just don't know. I mean, you never, I mean, once people are really paying to come see, I remember the first time, like, uh, we did the very first date of the tooth and nail tour and, uh, we made, we sold a thousand dollars worth of t-shirts and I, and I went, this is it. This is where this is it. Yeah. I said, this, uh, well, I, I mean, we have arrived. We are unbelievable. This is amazing. And, I, and I'm, you know, you just don't know how to process that because people are actually paying the money they worked hard for to come see you and then even buy a T-shirt. Yeah. I was like, good <laughs> God. I mean, that's, I, I mean, I, I remember going to a few concerts and I, I was like, I'm not buying a T-shirt. I, I paid the money. to come. I can't, I'm, I can't afford the T-shirt. These people are even buying our T-shirts. Well, what in the world is happening, you know? Right. And so it takes a while to process that. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then I guess kind of on the flip side of that, like, you know, once uh, once Emery started to, you know, kind of wind down from the the touring grind that you were a guy you guys were a part of for so many years. And then you started to, you know, have to think about what a quote unquote real life would look like. Um, and then, you know, some people have difficulty kind of transitioning, you know, away from, you know, being a person A in band A, you know, how I guess how did that, you know, t- walk me through kind of how that went for you personally, uh, whether it was a struggle or where it was just like, oh, I, well, I'm just kind of flipping the page now. And this is like w- what my life is going to look like, you know, in the next couple of years. You mean like as like with with the band? Now yeah. Or what, like, w- w- well, basically, you know, once once Emery started to, you know, become less of a, you know, yeah, yeah. you being, you know, the like, touring 200 days right, out of right, the year right. and that sort of yeah. stuff. So like trans- transitioning into, a, you know, a quote unquote real life, as it were. Right, right. For sure. So uh, it kind of all started changing. So our first our first record did great. And then the second one did even better. And we thought our third record was just going to, you know, take us to the stratosphere and it was going to be the one and tooth and nail gave us a bigger budget. And, and you know, we recorded at this really nice studio for six weeks and all, you know, it, we, we took it, we thought it was really serious. And then that record didn't do as good as we thought. And, um, and that was right when, you know, social media and the message boards, everybody could just, hit you up immediately and you would see all the comments about how they didn't like your record. It felt like everybody in the world didn't like your record, even though it was minority, it still felt like the majority. Um, and so from that point, I think that's when Devin, uh, our other, you know, lead singer and bass player, um, he started thinking about wanting to have, he's married. He wanted to, him and his wife wanted to start trying to get pregnant. And so after that is probably, I mean, maybe another year or so, Devin's like, he, he talked with me and said he wanted to maybe quit Emory. And I was like, oh, if Devin's quitting, maybe I should. But what does this look like? And uh, I said, well, let's just keep trying and see it because this is the only job I have. But once he started, once he left, I thought, huh, I mean, are we going to tour as much? What's it going to look like? So I ended up actually getting a job as a worship leader at a church, a mega church in Seattle, went there and it imploded and it was terrible. Uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed my time there, but the church eventually imploded and didn't, it did not work out for that church. Um, and, but I had another job. So what I would do, I told them I'll, I'll take this job as a worship leader. I thought this will be right up my alley. I can sing and play music. And also I said, I have to keep touring with my band Emory and they allowed that. So I was able to do that and start, that's when I first started dabbling in stuff outside of just Emory. This is probably 2000. Well, let's see. I guess Ike was, it's about 2011, but that job only lasted about a year. And my wife and I just, we didn't like it and the church didn't feel right. And we, so we left 
And then I got a job as another worship leader at a church in Charleston with my friend Joey, who, uh, you know, old, old buddy Joey stayed there for a while. But we started this podcast and stuff like that. So it kind of, once again, just started, I found, I stumbled upon a job and it was like, hey, I'll try this. Didn't work out. Stumbled upon another job. It was good for a little bit. Decided I needed to move on. And, and we started our podcast, Bad Christian Podcast. And that started taking off. So I was like, if I can do Emory and the Bad Christian Podcast and then try to do some other stuff here and there, and, you know, the, uh, I might can, you know, just do those two things only. And I think that's once I made that decision um, in like 2016, that was the time where I was like, okay, I'm full time. Uh, Emory and Bad Christian, but it's not really full-time. It's just enough money to where I can do these things and then pursue anything else. So I think the transition for me happened slowly over the course of a few years. I mean, maybe even over a course of a decade to where I didn't have to just go, okay, I'm done with touring and now I work such and such job or I, um, now I am a teacher. I'm using my degree. I didn't have to do that. I was able to find and add new things slowly to where I kept being able to make enough money to make it worth it. And so I've never been, the, the biggest problem my whole life is I've always been able to make just enough money to make it worth it. I've never, I won't, I can't ever <laughs> break fast. Like, man, I'm killing it. That's, you know, I mean, like even with Emory, even with all our success and all that stuff, I mean, we, we made good money and I have zero complaints, but we were never getting rich. We didn't have songs on the radio or, you know, we didn't ever sign the humongous deal or anything like that, but we made good money enough to make it totally worth it. But it was like, you know, a normal job that most people get paid, you know, right. salary wise. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, that's been the whole thing. I always, you know, I'll start something or do something and it makes just enough to where I'm like, I can't quit this, but it's not going to, is it ever going to even do better? Like, will I ever make enough? And I haven't been able to figure that. I haven't been able to get past that hump, but to answer your question, it happened so slowly over the course of so many years that it, I have never had to go, I'm quitting Emory. I'm getting this other job or I'm, you know, our podcast is done. Maybe that'll happen in the future, but it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, when people are pursuing, you know, creative endeavors and creative efforts, even regardless of their, you know, financial situation, they're trying, you know, people still want to do whatever it is that they want to do creatively, you know, as long as they have the passion for it. So they'll try to structure their lives, you know, in the, the way that you mentioned that you did, where it was like, okay, if I'm able to balance this, I'm able to, you know, do this job, but they allow me to tour or they allow me to, you know, have the freedom to be able to leave for this portion of time. Like, you know, like that's, uh, you know, that, that in my mind is successful because you're able to still, you know, and even if you did be like, all right, well, I'm going to have this full-time job or whatever, but you know, Emory and bad Christian are still going to exist. Then it's like, Oh, okay, cool. I can make all that work together. I will say there was a time. So after that, I worked at that first church, we moved to Clinton, Missouri, where my wife's mother, my mother-in-law lives there. It's the middle of nowhere. The only thing they have there really is like a Walmart. And uh, they had two Mexican restaurants, and I think both of them now closed down. At least one did. (laughs) So there's not much. You know, it's like just a town in between Kansas City and Springfield, Missouri. And when I was there and I did, I'd quit that church job and I didn't have any other jobs and uh, we weren't touring as much. I was like, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time where I do need to, uh, quit Emory. And, um, there was a a friend of the family that owned his own insurance company. I was like, well, maybe I will just go work for him and sell insurance. And this is where you move on to that next stage. And I was thinking about that for a while, but Matt and I had started this other band called Matt and Toby, and we were actually doing some tour stuff. And I was, once again, I was making just enough. I was like, well, let's just see. And then I got that other job at another church and that worked out well. And, and so it just, it's one of those things where 
you kind of have to in, in the moment you don't really know and then usually something will come to you and you just kind of move towards it you know what i mean and I, i'm not opposed to, i mean there are times in my life where i'm like man it would be nice just to have a, a nine to five that i go to and i know what to do sometimes uh being in a band like you know that there isn't uh uh there's there's no set of rules like you you just Today I'm going to write a song, so I'm going to pull a song out of the air. It's not like you know this, 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 and this necessarily has to get done today. It might need to get done in a few months or you know in a, two weeks or something like that. So there are times even now where, and especially as I'm getting older, I'm 44. I'll be 45 next year. Like I, I do think, well, it would be nice if I got up at six, drank coffee, drove into work, hung out with my coworkers, did a good job, and came home. That it, that does sound appealing sometimes, but like I said, I just haven't gotten there yet. Maybe. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe when you're uh, 80, you'll get there, dude. It's right, fine. right. Yeah, it's fine. You know, you you are a slow adapter. It'll take you, well, not an adapter, but you know, you, it, it takes you a minute to get through these things. <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. The last thing I want to hit on was like, you know, what you were talking about with, you know, Bad Christian. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, you know, once I dove into that and started to, you know, listen to your shows and I, I really, I mean, I myself am Christian and was raised that way and chose it for myself eventually, you know, after going through the many journeys that people go through with their faith. Faith. Um, but I, you know, really appreciated the, uh, you know, the frankness in which you guys were, uh, not only talking about religion, but, you know, making fun of your own beliefs and, you know, just being open about that. Yeah. And I know you've had so many different iterations of the ideas of what the show should mean, not only to yourselves, but, you know, uh, to your audience and everything like that. You know, now that you've gone through all of these iterations and, you know, co-hosts leaving and all this stuff right. that's happened with the show, I guess, why do you, uh, it probably, and I could ask the question about, Embry as well. Why do you still care about it? And I know that sounds like a, a provocative question or whatever, but it's like, yeah, you no. know, like you can, you can move on from these things now because they've all existed for a very long time in your life. Right. But you know, why do you keep returning to them? I guess. Ray, I ask myself that question at least a few times a year. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> and the, the thing that I come back to, so th- like this, for example, this last year was really hard. Uh, we parted ways with with one of our hosts, Joey, and he's maybe one of my oldest friends. I mean, probably one of my, I mean, I've been friends with him for so long and that was just a really tough situation on all sides. But, uh, there was a time for sure where I was like, okay, let's just walk away from this. This isn't, I don't know what's happening here and it's playing out in public. And that was just felt really uncomfortable and embarrassing. And I didn't know what to do. And all of that happened. And I did think in a moment, maybe do that same way with Emery. When Devin quit, I thought Devin's quitting to start his family. I already have a daughter. Am I just a terrible person? Like what, <laughs> what am I doing? Am I just trying to do what I want to do? Am I being selfish? And here's where it all comes comes back to me. Um, if these things, if I did not make an income with them, of course I would have to quit. And that's just being totally honest. If it didn't make any income, I might would still do them, but wait on a way, way less scale. Like Emery maybe would play a show here and there for fun and a get together with the guys, but not like, you know, planning tours and doing shows like we're still doing. And then with the podcast, um, we have a thing called the BC Club, the Bad Christian Club. And those people really do mean a lot to me. And I thought if I walk away, all the friendships and connections, they're not going to go away, but we really built something special here. And we owe it to those folks at the very least to see if this thing can keep going or not. So I I still don't have an answer for that. Like, I really enjoy the podcast. I love doing a podcast with Matt. Uh, We do miss Joey. Uh, But um, I, I think that's the thing that keeps me going there is that I love podcasting. It's fun. I can make it work in our schedule with everything that I need to do. And also 
the people that really appreciate it or enjoy it or even new folks that like want that outlet of something different, you know, grew up a certain way and want to hear just something different to argue with or uh, agree or disagree with. Um, I think that kind of keeps me motivated. I, I mean, it sounds like the cheesy thing to say your fans or those people, but I, we've kind of moved to a different stage in our career where I don't necessarily even think of our fans anymore as fans that come to the show. I think of them as like people that actually really care about us in a way they don't they maybe don't know us that well personally uh you know maybe we, we only get to see them and say hey here every once in a while but i almost think of them more like friends and people who actually want to support you because they they think what you're doing is worth it and that keeps me going right right well essentially it, at some point it's like in, in a way they're uh collaborators whether it's like yeah. they just have a one-sided relationship with you because like you may never know them but it's like for every you know, 10 pieces of feedback that you hear, you know, from a person emailing or social media messaging, there's a hundred out there that just don't take the time to write that or whatever, but they still maybe feel the same way. So I, yeah, I, I, especially when you're an adult and like you have perspective on things, you can just be like, yeah, like saying a person's a fan. It's just like, well, that sounds like, you know, you're a pop star or whatever. Yeah. And within the last year, we started this thing called Emory land. And basically it's like a subscription kind of where we put out an EP every quarter. And so, and eventually that will become the full record, but we also put out two extra EPs just for the Emory land folks. And, we, you know, we have a Discord group, Facebook and all stuff, and the interactions you have there and the people telling their stories and you hear them talking about, uh, you know, I saw you guys this time or they're just talking about pedals they like or, you know, or whatever. Like you go, wait a minute, these are people just like me. And I wrote a song that meant a lot to them and they're, they're still here and they're, they're still supporting and, and they want me to write another song or would appreciate it another song you know what i mean like they're they're in it with us and it really does feel like that and that's what's been really cool i think that kind of even changed us with emory more than i thought it would i thought we didn't want to do another kickstarter we're like well you get this much money for kickstarter and then you gotta you know try to figure out what you're gonna do and use the money this way what if we what if it was coming in continuously and you know it's not unbelievable like once again i'm not getting rich but it's coming in regularly, and then we're creating music regularly. It's caused us to kind of be on a schedule, and that's been really fun. And then the interaction, like, you know, we'll start writing a song and show the Emeryland folks before the song's even anywhere close to done. And they get to hear it and see the creation of it and what it's like and, you know, uh, do some stuff like that. So that's been really neat, too. Like, the the deeper interactions we've had with people that care about us as a band or our podcast it has probably meant more to me than I, I ever thought it could. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. That's a, and that is a nice cherry on top of our conversation. <laughs> well, Toby, this has been awesome. I really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, you know going all these uh, fun places with me. Yeah, for sure, man. And Reva is texting me and saying I have to say some stuff before this is over. So our new album is out right now. It's called White Line Fever. And uh, we're doing a live, we're calling it a Streamo show. It's called Are You Listening on Sunday Nights. And uh, it's at twitch.tv forward slash Emory Music. And you can join Emory uh, Land right now and you'll get our new record immediately and all the other extras that come along with that. But Ray, thank you so much for having me, man. This is always so fun getting to hang out with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise, dude. That was great, right? Don't forget, visit emerymusic.com and stream their newest record called White Line Fever. It is a really good record and uh, you can stream it anywhere. Order the vinyl and just just support the guys because uh, let's be honest, uh, bands need support at this time now more than ever. So what do I got next week? I have Henry Cox, who's the vocalist from, uh, you know, I would call it like a rock band, you know, pop punk-ish, whatever, in that genre, from uh, Boston Manor. 
who is a band from the UK who is uh, quite large and they, they're doing some great stuff. Just released a record on pure noise earlier this year. And uh, Henry actually came to me because he was like, I would like to appear on this show. Like no publicist, nothing else. Just emailed me and uh, we made it happen. I really enjoyed that chat. So that's what we got for you next week. And like I always say, but please, please take it to heart. Be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, Exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.